the Better Equine Vet Practice Limited Podcast Series, presented by Business Infusions, owners of HVMS Software. The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed in this podcast belong solely to the people interviewed and do not reflect the official policy or position of Business Infusions, HVMS Software, our employees or companies. Assumptions made in the analysis are not reflective of the position of any entity other than the guest. And since we are critically thinking human beings, these views are always subject to change, revision, and rethinking at any time. Our goal is to inspire and connect different conversations and different perspectives in the equine veterinary space. The Better Equine Vet Practice, Episode 2, presented by Business Infusions, owners of HVMS Software. In the second episode of this five-part limited series podcast, financial advisor and equestrian business coach Sean Jones discusses innovative tips to help equine veterinarian practices maximize their business revenue, get big picture goals in line, and plan their exit strategy. Hi, and welcome to the HVMS podcast, The Better Equine Practice. I'm Dr. Melanie Barham, your host, and I'm joined today by Sean Jones. Sean, can you introduce yourself and share a bit about your background? Hey, Melanie, thank you very much for having me. Um, I, uh, I'm a financial advisor. I'm, I work for Sun Life right now, um, but I've, I've grown up in the barn, right? So I've, I've always been a rider. I grew up riding in, in Ottawa on, uh, you know, doing hunters and jumpers. Um, and obviously, like every horse-crazy kid, you have these aspirations of being a large animal vet. So I ended up at Guelph. Um, shortly after Guelph, I, uh, I was the first marketing coordinator for the Ontario Equestrian Federation. And, and that just sort of opened up a whole lot of neat ideas with regards to sort of connecting uh, finance and the horse business and, and so on and so forth. So that sort of started me down that track. Um, but at some point, I just, after about three years there, I just got so tired of the cold. So I, I moved <laughs> to Palm Beach to be a show ring rider and a horse trainer. Okay, that's a big change. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and it, I'm so grateful for it because it was really quite a wonderful experience. I spent, you know, 15 years there uh, building this really cool, uh, special show stable uh, that was in a horse show Mecca in Wellington. Um, so we got to experience some pretty cool things. Um, I also uh, met a wonderful woman who is now my wife, and we got married. Um, but at one point, we, uh, you know, we typically horse showed about 50 weeks out of the year. We took mm-hmm. Christmas and Easter off, and that was it. And after our second child came along, we sort of made the decision collectively that we should be normal people. Uh, and maybe uh, think about going back to Canada and have a 40-hour work week and do all that stuff. So uh, so that brought us back to Ontario. I grew up in Ottawa. My wife grew up in Peterborough. So we, we compromised and moved to Peterborough. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and then that's when I joined Sun Life. And uh, my passion has always been horses and finance. And now I've sort of tried to combine the two. And... Uh, you know, the, this um, this pandemic created 
sort of an opportunity for me to kind of jump right back into it. I've now partnered with Ontario Equestrian and the University of Guelph to run a series of webinars on financial planning for uh, horse facility owners. Awesome. Um, so we've connected with Further Herd, which is their fundraising initiative. And um, I'm really excited about that. We're starting that next week in an effort to, to try and get horse people a little more uh, knowledgeable on managing their finances and creating financial-oriented goals. Gotcha. So, oh, that's so interesting. Yeah, thank you. It, it, it's, it's really a fun role. I'm really looking forward to it. I'm grateful for the partnerships that we've created with Ontario Equestrian and with uh, University of Guelph. So hopefully that goes well. Fantastic. Um, so as you know, uh, as you could probably tell from the podcast title, we're mainly talking to equine practitioners. And our podcast today is about, um, you know, how do you cut costs in your practice or how do you, you know, and, and maximize revenue um, while not feeling like you're a penny pincher or some kind of pop so you've got a great business background and um and as well as well as like as well as an equine background so when we look to increase income obviously we need to either increase revenue or cut costs so do you have any tips for practice owners who'd like to examine their costs and take a hard look during um during this kind of crazy time um well i think i mean the number one priority is that every dollar needs to have a job Right. So if, if you're looking at and I usually hate to use the word budget, but let's call it cash flow statement for now. And we'll say income versus outgone. Right. So let's try and find the correlation between the two and say all the outgone has to have a particular job or objective. And is that job or objective uh, providing uh, sort of a productive uh motion towards where I'm trying to get to. Um, and if it's not, then maybe we can eliminate it. But I want to be careful, you know, that we're not focused so much on cutting costs, because in, in a lot of ways, those costs are there for a reason, whether it's it's your own mindset with your daily Starbucks or, or you know, the 16 subscriptions to publications that you might only read one article in, uh, but it's mm-hmm. that one article is impactful. So, I don't want to get too caught up in cutting costs aside from things that just don't make sense to your lifestyle right now. So I would say, look, there's a lot of different budgeting exercises that you can go through. You can create your own spreadsheet just to determine what's coming in and what's going out. And just so you know, and you're cognizant of what's going out and where, Uh, but I would rather kind of focus on increasing revenue. And I, I try to tell people, you know, you're not going to get wealthy cutting costs and saving. You're, you're going to get wealthy by increasing revenue. So um, being cognizant of the costs is important, but feeling guilt about some of those costs is where I think we run into problems. Yeah, I feel like there was something really important that you said in there. So if I can paraphrase, I feel like it was really great to hear that it's important to align your values and your goals for your business and yourself with where you're spending money. And if they don't align, then maybe take a second look at it. Absolutely, right? I mean, as a business owner, I try to think about if there's surplus money, I'm going to put it back into the business with an emphasis on growth strategies, right? Right. Um, 
another sort of opportunity this COVID thing brought about was you can't you can't go to the gym anymore. And and I was paying hundred dollars a month for this gym membership, and I would drive by the gym every day, even pre-COVID, and say, "I'm going to go tomorrow." <laughs> tomorrow comes around, and I never go, but I keep spending this monthly payment. And then just by by default, you're not allowed to go anymore. All right, well, I'm going to cut that out of the budget, right? Uh, so those right. those to me are the things that you want to cut out, the ones that don't align with your goals and your lifestyle now, but don't mm-hmm. guilt yourself into cutting other things out that may give you some value, whether it's personal or business oriented. Gotcha. Yeah, I think that's really good advice. So some of our listeners are equine practitioners that own practices, and some of them are practitioners who want to own someday. So from your perspective, um, what are crucial pieces to being a more effective business owner and then being prepared to buy into a, a practice? This is what I tell my clients all the time is the first thing I want you to do is, is, is dream, dream big, create these sort of lofty goals and and picture what you're trying to create in the short and the mid and the long term. And then you can back yourself out of that equation and start building strategies to achieve those goals through planning, right? So you build a build a specific business plan and make sure you're you're coming back to that business plan, you know, probably quarterly in the beginning. So as as often as you can to make sure Am I, everything that I'm doing, am I reaching the goals that I'm trying to based on the strategies that I'm doing daily? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the one thing I would, I would really emphasize and the one thing that I, I failed to do early in my career is take some time out of the business because it's easy to work in the business so much that we, we don't spend enough time working on the business. So now I find myself spending two or three hours a week um, working on the business. So looking at those plans, those goals, and and again, reestablishing or realigning some of the strategies that are going to help me with that. Um, because look, it, we can get so caught up in, in dealing with clients and dealing with billing and dealing with schedules and uh, enhancing our craft, but we're not spending enough time uh, looking at uh, you know goals and strategies and, and maybe marketing initiatives and who can we collaborate with to to help grow our business and our vision. Yeah, that's I think that's great advice. That's probably great advice if you're an associate as well, wanting to buy in because are you building are you building your staircase to the right place? Um, and are you you know to even take an hour as an associate every week to say am I you know how am I hitting the goals that I the big picture goals that I wanna that I wanna hit I think that's a really good point. Yeah, and I think we're sort of in the in the coaching culture now, right? Like, I mean, it, it doesn't take much to look online and find a coach who's a who's an expert in this field, and and whether or not they have real practical experience, the fact is they may be able to give you a perspective on on what mindset you need to have this this growth uh, idea in your head and what steps you need to do to get there. So um, I, th- I think that applies, as you said, to associates as well, for sure. I want to just touch on some 
parts about this, this might go into some of the insurance stuff that you, um, that you focus on on a day-to-day basis, but what are some of the challenges and obstacles that can impact your ability to achieve your goals um, in your personal lifestyle or in your growth of your practice? So, uh, you know, when you're, when you're growing a business, you've got to think about a few factors that can get in the way. And, and so we tend to refer to these as uncontrollables, right? Uh, these are things that, you know, may operate outside of the realms of, of your business operations that have a significant impact. And to start, we need to really understand as a, as a veterinarian or as a business owner, uh, you are your biggest asset. Your ability to earn income is the most important factor to your business. So is there, is there, are there contingencies in place to help if for some reason you can't go to work as you typically would? Um, you know, a prime example, I, I was riding a jumper and came off and tore my ACL. And, you know, for four months I had to teach lessons in, from a golf cart. Um, but I was, I was also supposed to be paid to ride clients' horses. So I had to pay someone to ride my clients' horses that I was being paid to ride. Um, so is there a mechanism in place for that kind of a thing, right? Right. Do you have um, a backup plan? Do you have, a, do you have any cross-training in your business where somebody could take over for you if needed, that kind of thing? Well, yeah, exactly. Are you able to delegate tasks uh, in that case? Do you have the right insurance coverage in that case? Do you have enough cash in the corporation to, uh, if there's a hit to your, to your revenue stream because of that? So we've got to look at, at solutions to prevent that kind of thing. So that would be sort of the one, one obstacle, especially uh, significant to a, a solo practitioner, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, two, two, I would say would be, um, you know, volatility in the stock market, right? Because as Canadians, uh, we're investing in a tax-free savings account or an RSP, a registered retirement savings plan. All of these are correlated with stock market performance. And again, if you're in the States, you've got a 401k or a, a Roth IRA, stuff like that. All of that is dependent on, on the stock market. And if you look at um, that from a risk standpoint, you say, okay, well, you know, 2020 or 2019, my U.S. equity fund was up 20%. Well, that's great, but it was down 10% in 2018. So if you do the math right, that's a net zero rate of return over two years. Mm-hmm. So that's a bit of a risk, right? So we've got to be careful that um, because we're sort of conditioned to save 10, 15, 20% of our income and put it into like a growth stock mutual fund or something like that. But if all of your investments are, are correlated with the stock market, that's a bit of a risk factor, right? So we have to be cognizant of that and put that into the plan. Right. I got you there. Yeah. Um, so I think, yeah, from the perspective of where do I cut costs, um, saving for yourself and your retirement is definitely something you should not 
cut from what I'm hearing from you. Um, and I know that that's something that we think of when we, when times get tough, we're like, oh gosh, I'm just going to, I can't afford to put money away right now. Um, or, and potentially, you know, cutting from our learning and continued learning. So we can't just stick our heads in the sand and say, okay, well, I put my money into this one vehicle and I'm sure it's going to be fine because it may not be. Um, if anything, if this, if the past two years have taught us anything, market volatility is really high. Um, and we need to pay attention to that and diversify our portfolios. I think that would be, that seems to be what I've learned anyways. Um, and I don't know if you, it sounds like you probably were on the same page with that. Yeah, exactly. You know, yes, you do need to have some market-based investments, but you have to remember that every dollar that you put into a market-based investment, you've, you've essentially given up control, right, of that dollar. You're, you're sort of hoping that it's going to increase. And history has proven that, yeah, it's, it's, you know, it's gone up over a long period of time and it's a good thing. But I would say as a business owner, you're, the best investment you can do is invest in you and, and you touched on it with education. You know, maybe you want another designation. Uh, maybe you, you want to learn something new that could help you specialize in a niche market, you know, uh, something like that. I think invest in you should be priority one, especially if you have a growth mindset. Um, so yeah, taking a, making sure that you're taking a portion of your income and putting it towards investing in you and investing in in the future you is is a priority. So you don't want to be cutting that cost. Right, gotcha. Um, now let's talk a little bit. This is uh, you know obviously when we're cu- talking about cutting costs, exit strategies and succession planning don't really come to mind as the first thing. But I'd love to get your thoughts on on how that might play into you know what you do today. Um, might make might help or hinder your decisions to leave the business later, and um, you know, and, and planning. Yeah, and that's. I mean, look. Before we even get to the exit strategy, we have to consider the other most important part that can really derail your plan is is taxes, right? And this is going to segue great into the exit strategy. But the fact of the matter is. Um, veterinarians, if they aren't already, are going to be in a in a high marginal tax rate, which is the you know, in Ontario here. Um, for every dollar or income that you earn over two hundred twenty thousand dollars, you know fifty three point five three cents of it is going to go to Ottawa to taxes. Mm-hmm. So federal government, it, yeah, yeah, to the government to to you know whatever it might be, and. Look, those taxes are not going to go down anytime soon. Um, so we have to be very cognizant of that as we're planning uh, for currently, you know. Um, so there's there's an argument to be said that maybe we try to keep as much money in the corporation without bringing it out as individual income in the early years. Um, but yeah, then then that leads up to what is my exit strategy? And for anyone listening to this right now, I would suggest that maybe you just write that question down. Um, and obviously, you don't have to come up with the answer now because it's a bit of a, it's, you've got to put some thought into this, right? You got into this, uh, at some point, you're going to get out of it, whether voluntarily or involuntarily, right? right. So uh, are, you, are, you, you sort of, are you being proactive in making a plan? You know, it's, earlier in the podcast, we made reference to hiring a new, a new graduate. 
maybe that graduate is is the person that's going to be able to buy your practice from you when you turn 65. Uh, maybe that's an ideal solution because you sort of uh, taught that person and they've developed a relationship with your clients and that would be the, the smoothest transition. Um, the funny thing is, is with a lot of entrepreneurs, because they love what they do so much, uh, most people don't have an exit strategy. Most people don't have a retirement plan. Mm-hmm. And I, I sort of, I, I knew a vet in, in Florida that um, unfortunately passed away, but they were still working and they loved what they did. And I'm sort of, you know, I, I get this thought of, you know, you're breathing your last breath, falling into the grave, telling the, the groom to post the wrong diagonal on a tight circle while you do a pre-purchase exam. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like as as romantic as that sounds, the problem is if you've been in business long enough, the cost basis on your business versus what the the value of the business is currently is the the differential is going to be huge, which means, man, there's going to be a lot of taxes on that that's going to be left to your survivors. So Hmm. there has to be a plan for exiting the business. And then what does that look like in retirement? Yeah. Yeah. And I actually, um, this kind of reminds me of, um, I don't know if you've ever, if you remember that old Stephen Covey exercise where he says, you know, plan what you want people to say at your funeral kind of thing and where you want to be. Um, but I always say kind of like, cause that seems a bit morbid to me, but plan what you want people to say at your retirement party. So, uh, you know, with regards to your business, like you have to have a retirement party in order to, in order to have people say that about you, which, you know, as you say, most entrepreneurs don't make a, an exit strategy and that's not unique to equine practice. Um, so, but yeah, I, I love the whole theme of get your big picture goals in line um, so that you know what you're working towards, including an exit strategy and what kind of retirement you want to have and what kind of ideal, you know, what kind of ideal things do you want to have happen in your practice as well as your general lifestyle. So I really like that idea about reminding everybody that as you're trying to think about cutting costs or you're trying to think about increasing revenue, what's the end goal? What is the, um, there's probably an argument for staying small as well. I'd love to get your thoughts on that, actually. Well, yeah, now that you've invoked uh, Stephen Covey, I mean, uh, begin with the end in mind. What is what is the ultimate goal? And then you can create strategies from there. So sometimes you sort of get into, into business or practice and you're, okay, I'm, I'm ambitious to get going and this is what I want to do. I can't think of that at the end because I've got too much to think about right now. Yeah. Um, but yeah, going back to his principles and saying, you know, begin with the end in mind and that's going to add so much clarity to your plan. Yeah. And setting aside time to, to dream and to plan those things is really just a bit of, just a tiny bit of space to make those ideas um, flow. Because I, I just really feel like, I don't know if you've felt like this, probably you have in the, in the lockdown. I know you had mentioned you have four children. um, So I'm sure it's been pretty hectic too, but I just found, I found it was quite, it's, you know, it's just overwhelming at times, like particularly in the past six months, like it's hard to set aside time to, to dream or to think of anything bigger than yourself and what is exactly in front of you at that time. Oh yeah, absolutely. And again, that goes back to like what I always tell the clients is, look, I'm a, I'm a math and finance expert, but I, I want you to, to use a little, little right brain stuff here and start thinking and, and, and dreaming about what, what things are going to look like and how you want it to look. 
the other thing I wanted to make a point is, is, and by, you know, horse people and uh, by nature, we tend to have a bit of a MacGyver complex where, you know, we can fix everything with some Baylor twine and some duct tape. Mm -hmm. um, look, this isn't a do-it-yourself project, right? Bring in professionals that can help you with this. You know, get a good accountant. Um, you know, we made reference to a coach earlier, you know, get a coach to help you strategize, get a marketing expert, get a financial advisor that understands your industry and your business. And man, that's going to go a long way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's helpful too. I mean, just in the same way that, um, I don't know, I've always felt like as a, when, you know, I, I don't clinically practice right now, but when I was clinically practicing, I felt as though it was always, um, it was always really important to know when I was over in over my head and when I should refer something um, as opposed to, and seek out additional help because I owed it to my clients and I owed it to, you know, everyone I was working with to, to be doing that. And I think that's probably the same thing here where you owe it to the people who work with you and also your future self to get the right help at the right time. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think, um, you know, you were you were making reference uh, in a podcast that I was listening to. Um, you were doing this cool, this neat survey, and I'd love to dig deeper into that at some point. Um, but you said, uh, you know, of these vets that you had surveyed, fifty about fifty percent of them were still in practice, and fifty percent of them weren't. And of the fifty percent that were still in practice, seventy five percent had considered leaving practice for some reason or another, mm -hmm. and. The first reaction, I guess, is, you know, wait a minute, this is your calling. What are you thinking? And then after you think about it for a minute and start to really evaluate and go, maybe that number is a little bit low because what entrepreneur hasn't banged their head against the wall and said, I've made a serious mistake, mm -hmm. you know? Um, and, and as a result, because of that sort of revelation, there's a paradigm shift and you go, okay, well, I'm in this. I put a lot of effort, money, and time into this. There's no use getting out now, but maybe now's the time to reevaluate everything and create my ideal business. And mm -hmm. I think maybe that's the time to sort of align yourself with professionals that can help you, right? Is to say, okay, I'm going to make this huge shift from being maybe a jack of all trades to maybe a niche, right? So the, you pick your niche and and some of these 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 moments where you're banging your head against the wall is is what is the catalyst for initiating this. And I think I think that's a wonderful opportunity for you to engage with other professionals to help. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, so yeah, in the survey that I had done, it was um, there was over a thousand responses from veterinarians globally, and I asked them. They were from all different types of practice and all different parts of veterinary medicine, and I had asked them, you know, are you in practice right now? Are you out of practice? Um, you know, are you working a non-clinical job? Or have you left the profession entirely? And as you say, 75% um, of women had l considered leaving practice uh, at one point. These are of the practitioners that were still in practice. And 61% of men, um, of male practitioners. Um, and when I looked at the, when we asked them what their primary reason was for considering leaving, um, a lot of it was around burnout, long hours, low pay, that type of thing. And then 
when we asked them what allowed them to stay, um, some of the biggest things were shifting their mindset, shifting to a different practice model or a different practice within the same or different part of veterinary medicine. Um, So finding something potentially that fit their lifestyle a little bit better, finding a place that had better pay or benefits. Um, And a very few of them said that practice ownership was the answer for them, which was interesting. Um, but yeah, I like the, you know, I like the idea of um, the theme that came up for me that kept coming up for me. And the whole thing was that all over and over um, practitioners said out of all of these thousands, thousand responses that, you know, when they chose their career, they, they turned to friends and family, they turned to their mentors. Um, when they were trying to decide whether to leave practice or not leave practice or stay or change what they were doing, they talked to their support network. Um, So it struck me that we have to also have a real understanding that a support network is hugely important for us to um, be sustainable in veterinary medicine. Absolutely. Um, And that idea of just being a solo practitioner that you're, you know, just out there on your own, um, you have to still have, you have to actively work to maintain your social network and maintain your professional network that is going to help you and surrounding yourself with the right people um, is part of that, I think, and the right services and the right, right things in general. Well, yeah. And I think being an entrepreneur, a business owner of any kind, there's, there's a sense of of fear about the insecurity of of the whole process of it. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of the people that I deal with, um, for instance, I have a lot of law enforcement, firefighters, teachers and nurses as clients. And, and the one thing about that particular group is they have this beautifully designed, impeccably managed indexed for inflation defined benefit pension plan, which Mm -hmm. basically means that when they're done putting out fires, arresting bad guys, teaching our kids and saving lives, they have a guaranteed income for life that's going to increase based on the cost of living. Mm-hmm. And sorry, doctor, you don't have that. You know, and that's that's a little bit scary. Um, but with proper planning, you can create it on your own. You can kind of self-direct it. Right? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Now, I do know a couple of vets that have managed to get in with, uh, you know, with the Department of Agriculture and so on and so forth. So they end up getting that, that government pension, but you know, that's not for everybody. Right. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And, and ideally people would, you know, if you're a practice owner, gosh, you'd like to stay in it. And, and if you're a practice owner, you'd probably also like your associates to stay in practice too. Well, absolutely. And I think if, if you have that in the back of your mind, that there is financial security at the end of all this effort and hard work, uh, maybe you can really appreciate what you're doing and you become a little bit more idealistic and start creating the perfect practice or creating the greatest experience you can because we've just taken the worry of future finances out of the equation. Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah, I was recently at a... Um at the Veterinary Financial Summit this past weekend, which is an online conference. And they were talking a lot about financial independence and retirement, early, early retirement, so the FIRE okay. method, which was kind of a, an interesting perspective on things. Yeah, I mean, that, that sort of financial independent retire early theme is sort of caught on recently. And um, I, I really like the idea of being able to sort of financially do it. But what does... I wonder what that does to our psyche because we didn't, 
we didn't get into the horse business. We didn't become vets uh, necessarily for the financial rewards. We most of us got into this industry because we love animals and um, you know so on and so forth. So if we, I, I worry that if we retire too early, our life sort of loses that purpose. And um, I always joke because a big part of my job is I help people retire. And uh, a few months ago, I got a call from from a client's wife that said, uh, Sean, you got to make us more broke. He's got to go back to work. He's driving me crazy. He's bored. Um, you know, I can't, he doesn't have any hobbies. He misses his friends at work and so on and so forth. So I, I worry that the, the idea of retiring early uh, seems extravagant until you get there. And then you kind of go, well, I kind of miss seeing clients and taking care of horses and doing whatever. Yeah, I guess so. Um, yeah, that's a good point. I suppose if you and if you don't work to build hobbies and work to have things outside of work, then it is really challenging when you retire because you don't have a lot of things to go to. Yeah. Now, now look, as as horse people, it's 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 rare that we don't have any hobbies outside of work. Um, but you know, it's it's it can still happen. But it's a consideration when you when you plan a retirement, you've got to think about you know, what are you going to do with your time? Not necessarily just what you're going to do with your money. Um, yes. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. Um, yeah, those are all good. Those are all good points. Do you have any advice on that uh, from looking at other entrepreneurs and other industries? Uh, I think, you know, just don't, don't plan on going a hundred miles an hour to zero, right? You know, maybe try to ease your way out. Maybe, you know, keep keep a toe in the water for a little bit. Um, that kind of a thing, whether you have this smooth transition when, you know, we talked about exit strategy, maybe you don't just sell and walk away and ride off into the sunset. You sell, but maybe consult a few days a week with the new practice owner. I I don't know. Um, Either way, I I think going from a hundred miles an hour to zero is, is tough on, on business owners because we're so, Mm -hmm. we're so used to being busy that it's too hard to become unbusy all of a sudden. Yes, yeah, I could see that. Certainly working at the working at a university where I do, I see a lot of, you know, when we see people retire, usually you see in the first year they take about, you know, they're still doing like 90% of the work that they were doing before. They're just doing, they just dropped off some of the things they didn't like doing. And then yeah. the second year they're sort of, um, they're coming in a bit less and then they might consult or they might, um, and then by the, probably some, for some people it takes four or five years before they're really settled into like, you know, other stuff that they want to be really invested in and feel like they have contributed everything that they contribute. And those are just observations from the the people that I've seen, but certainly um, it's just, it's an interesting, it's an interesting thing because we do like to feel useful. And as, as professionals that do feel a high level of calling or vocation, um, yeah, we like to feel like we can contribute and like that we can, you know, that we, that we're still giving back. Yeah, absolutely. And then, you know, the the, the financial side of the, of the whole equation uh, just becomes a little bit easier to manage from that standpoint. And actually, that's kind of a good segue because I kind of think, you know, we tend to operate that there are four key factors to a successful retirement when it comes to finances. Um, and, and I would say one would be create enough guaranteed lifetime income to cover your basic expenses. And mm-hmm. I touched on that a little bit with the defined benefit pension plans that are quickly going away, at least in Canada. 
Um, we don't have those big pensions that uh, that we typically used to. But you can create that self-directed. Um, and you know, number two would be to optimize the remainder of your portfolio to protect against inflation and to factor in longevity. Because I think you know, veterinarians tend to have a, a fairly healthy lifestyle compared to the average, where you know you tend to be more active, um, and so on and so forth. So longevity is a factor, I think, for veterinarians. You know, financial planning standards of Canada is telling us we have to build retirement plans to age, you know, between 92 and 95, because one of the, the biggest fears is now outliving your money. Mm. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and, and look, like, like I said, veterinarians tend to be on the, on the healthier side of the average. So if anyone's going to live long, it's probably going to be them. Yikes. <laughs> I think that's great advice. Um, and I just, I just want to thank you for your time. We've covered an awful lot of ground here and I think it's been uh, really great to get a perspective from, from a different, from a business side and from somebody who is coaching entrepreneurs about their financial futures, as well as someone who has been inside of the riding industry, um, both as a business owner and a rider. So, um, so I just want to thank you for your time and, um, and to, um, and to just say um, that I think it's been a really great conversation and uh, thanks so much for joining us. Well, thank you very much for having me. It was fun. I, you know, I can talk about money and horses all day long. So <laughs> yeah, I, these are kind of my passions and uh, sometimes you got to reel me back in, but uh, I really enjoyed it. Thank you so much. <laughs> Great. Okay. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the Better Equine Vet Practice limited podcast series presented by Business Infusions, owners of HVMS Software. For more information, visit businessinfusions.com forward slash podcast or follow us on social media at HVMS Software.